Welcome to Frankly Speaking About Family Medicine, a CME podcast series where each week we translate today's late-breaking clinical research and news into tomorrow's practice. I'm Frank Domino, professor in the Department of Family Medicine and Community Health at the University of Massachusetts Medical School and editor-in-chief of the 5-Minute Clinical Consult series. Be sure to visit primed.com podcast after the discussion for more information about today's article and to claim CME CE credit. Mariana, a 28-year-old woman, is here for her yearly physical. She's married and has a two-year-old son. She and her husband are trying to get pregnant. She tells you she hopes to be pregnant within the next few months. She has had episodes of anxiety in the past and has been on an SSRI for a few years with good results, but she stopped it when she decided she was going to try to conceive in the past and wants to do the same now. She shares that the pandemic and the associated impacts have caused her to feel incredibly stressed, and she worries about managing these feelings while she's trying to conceive and then when pregnant. What should we say to Mariana? Hi, this is Frank Domino, and joining me today to talk about ways to manage severe stress in women of childbearing age is Dr. Susan Feeney, Director of the Nurse Practitioner Tracks at the University of Massachusetts Medical School Graduate School of Nursing. Good morning, Susan. Good morning. Mariana, I, I actually really appreciate you, you having this case and, and talking about these things. Um, the last thing we want Mariana to be on is a medication during her, her pregnancy. What, what about mind-body interventions? What do we know? How effective are they at managing stress? Well, um, there was a recent meta-analysis that looked at um, various types of mind-body interventions. So, you know, mindfulness, so journaling and those types of, you know, uh, activities. Um, yoga, relaxation activities, cognitive behavior therapy. And, and we know that these can be effective, but they look specifically at uh, antenatal women, so women who were pregnant, who had um, a level of um, self-reported stress through a validated tool. And it found that they were had significant reduction when they looked at these 28 studies they had significant reduction in their perceived stress. Um, and, you know, there was a total of um, almost 2,000 women. Um, and, and that was really good news because this is a prevalent problem. We have, as, as Mariana mentions, I mean, she's, we're living in stressful times. Um, and we don't, we want to keep her off any sort of you know, pharmaceutical while she's pregnant and, you know, before, while she's trying to conceive, while she's pregnant, and then also while she's breastfeeding. Um, so um, it, this was really a, an interesting study and, uh, or review, this meta-analysis to look at these things. Um, and the the one thing that they found, which was very interesting, is it it didn't seem to matter whether it was group intervention or individual intervention. But what they found was there seemed to be an optimum time for people to to get the, the optimum benefit. So four to eight weeks seemed to be what people needed to commit to before they had that reduction in stress. Um, the other thing they found as a secondary outcome of this meta-analysis is they looked at uh, anxiety and depressive depression scales, and they found that there was a correlation between 
um, people who had this just dis, dis, you know had improvement in their stressful you know the stress indicators and there was a reduction in both anxiety and depression um i think it's just really powerful um information to give our 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 women who are considering pregnancy who are going to be pregnant and breastfeeding it gives them uh you know the sort of strength of the evidence to say this could actually work for you you know, before we start going down um, pharmaceutical roads? I, for a host of reasons, different practice parameters, the internet, um, Facebook groups and so forth, social media groups. Um, I find I have two young moms in my practice with one month olds and um, both of them have had jobs before and they get getting information from their parent, from their in-law, from their social media feeds. And it it really increases their what what should I do? Shouldn't I be doing this? Should oh they, they have all these terms that they've learned. Um, we 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 think nothing of recommending folic acid to prevent neural tube defects in pregnancy. We should be thinking about journaling and mind body tools as part of routine care of of pregnant women or women considering. Uh, pregnancy, and, and maybe not just women. Maybe it's it's their significant others as well. Right. Because uh, the stress the the stress really has, even though the care is more scientifically based, the different sources of information uh, really compound the stress of it all. That's right. And we really need to be the conduit of sort of evidence based information. You know, either through you know, our meetings with them. And if we're meeting through telehealth, you know, through that, but through our websites with our practices or emails with them or newsletters to give them sort of a toolbox of things to do. And someone like Mariana, if we could, if we could help her establish this sort of mindfulness activity prior to conceiving, she could then sort of bring this into the pregnancy with her. And, um, you know, I always used to say to my patients, in some ways, we live pathological lifestyles. And these, the, the stress in our lives, it's, it's that, you know, we can take a pill or you can do something else. But really, it's, it's trying to take back ownership of your life in the sense that, you know, and we're not talking about, you know, a two-hour visit to a yoga studio. We're talking about a 20-minute period of time on, on most days of a week where you have to center yourself. And, and it can be done through an app. It could be done through journal, like you said. It can be done through uh, yoga. There's a, 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 an organization that has basically um, given free access to their yoga app for anybody who is a healthcare provider for the next six months. You know, there's just a lot out there. And this, this um, study really quantifies and says, you know, it doesn't matter what the mindfulness activity is and doesn't matter if you do it as a group, doesn't matter if you do it individually, just do it for four to eight weeks and you can improve, you can improve that level of stress so it's down and there appears to be a correlation with less anxiety and depression. And what's the downside? Very little, you know, there's no, there's no risk to her, just benefit. And you're right, getting the, getting the significant other involved as well. And I, I'm fairly convinced the adverse event rate is extremely low. The right. number needed to treat is extremely low. And the worst case scenario is, is that it, it's not effective and the patient reports continued symptoms. I, I, a paper 
a number of years ago talked about the primary management of insomnia. And they, the, the intervention was to have patients go to bed and take out a pad and write down all the things that were on their mind and then put the pad away. And if they woke up during the night and thought of something to you know, physically sit up and, and add it to their list. And right. it was incredibly effective, just that tool of putting your anxiety in a place, becoming mindfully aware that, okay, they're there, they'll be there tomorrow, I won't forget them. Right. Uh, resolve their, you know, addressed and treated their insomnia probably far better and far safer than a sleep aid of any sort. Well, let's talk about Mariana. How are we going to counsel her? She's got a two-year-old already. Um, how is she going to be able to incorporate mindfulness activities while having a two-year-old circle her? She's she's going to have to, you know, we need to, we'll have to talk to her about strategies. What times during the day is he's is this little one still taking naps? Uh, maybe at that that's the point at which you don't clean your house and you don't catch up on other things. You do your mindful activity, or maybe it's it's before she goes to bed. Um, but to work out with her husband some strategies on how she can get a half hour or 45 minutes on a daily basis to do this um, so that she can remain, you know, healthy and and off off medications. Um, and it would really be a mind, actually a mindful intention for her to, you know, say, OK, now you need to figure out where are you going to place this? And, and I often will tell patients it's a I'm giving you a prescription. Your prescription is you know, a half hour to 40, minute, 40 minutes a day of mindful activity. So you're going to, you're going to, well, I'll be in touch with you and you're going to tell me how, where you put that into your day and how you're going to negotiate that with your husband. And then if he needs that time as well, you can also, you know, give him that activity, that time as well. Um, and that not to make this stressful again to say, I, oh, I missed it yesterday. Okay, then you pick it up tomorrow. But that it's it's really intentional mindfulness. Um, and again, over 48 weeks. And I think what that 48 weeks does is it builds in a, a habit of, of behavior um, that hopefully she'll be able to, you know, continue throughout the pregnancy and into postpartum. Um, and and I think also along with that, I think, as you mentioned, I might tell her to maybe not be on her phone as much or to be going to all those other types of distracting and stressful um, apps that, you know, like, you know, some like Facebook and things like that, that can that can actually maybe increase some of her stress. So d d dive into what her habits are and ask her how she's going to strategize this. And give her the evidence that, you know, this is as effective for people with mild anxiety and depression as medication. Now, one thing that was pointed out in the studies is if someone obviously has bipolar, people who are feeling, you know, severe depression, that that's not the, um, that these people were not, they were excluded from these studies. And those people would need certainly um, more intervention and being able to talk to her about what would be concerning feelings she was having so that we could intervene. That would be an important thing to also talk to Mariana about. I wanna give you a quick tip that um, our director of behavioral health gave me when I was doing telemedicine visits and with the COVID situation, people are terribly anxious. She said, practice with them diaphragmatic breathing while you're on the call, one hand on the chest, one hand on the abdomen, and with them, have them take deep breaths, extending their abdomen and trying to keep their top hand still. 
and have them do it three or four times and just say, you know, do this multiple times a day. Um, this alone will lower your stress. And, you know, they're just just give her some real life practice. So to make it real, it's it's hard to say, okay, yeah, I gotta add in yoga for for exactly. So this this is one quick thing they can do. Yeah, and those relaxation techniques actually were as were one of those uh, mind body interventions, such as the deep breathing, you know, sort of intentional thinking of gratitude, like writing down your your worries and also writing down what you're grateful for. Uh, prior to going to bed. So those, all of those things are relaxation techniques. And that's a great idea. And I think that as tough as it is, is doing telemedicine with people. But if you have, if you have the, the visualization, um, you will probably have more face-to-face contact with your patient in some ways with a telemedicine visit. Um, and so to use that effectively, you know, maintaining eye contact and showing them the breathing idea, Frank. All right. Um, one last thought. In the time of COVID, um, we're, we're also, as providers, fairly stressed out. I want to remind the listeners that PrimeMed has a great um, CME uh, presentation by Dr. Jay Winner on re-engineering your clinical practice for patient and clinician well-being, where he talks about a variety of tools to both help your patients, as well as a variety of really simple interventions that you can use on a, on a two second basis in your own practice to lower your stress and improve your approach to both patient care and your personal health. Susan, thanks so much. My pleasure. Practice pointer, assess stress and anxiety and depression in all patients, but in particular, your women who are planning to get pregnant and who are pregnant and consider offering them a variety of mind-body interventions as they're effective in both reducing stress and preventing depression. Join us next time when we discuss curcumin as a effective treatment for osteoarthritis of the knee. Thank you for listening to Frankly Speaking About Family Medicine, brought to you by PrimeMed. To claim credit and receive additional information about the article referenced in today's episode, visit primemed.com slash podcast and see you next week.